Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, I would say thank you to Jeff Henderson, who was nice enough to donate to the podcast. I do this podcast as well as From John to Justin, Canada's Great War, Coast to Coast, and Pucks and Cups. I do all these podcasts full-time, so every dollar you give, I'll keep it all going. And I truly appreciate it, and I'll thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos about Canada's history, and my username is Bairdo37. You can also find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash Canadian History X. As well, if you want to find transcripts of every single episode I've ever done, you can just go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. William Stevenson may not be well known today among Canadians, but he is someone who lived a fascinating life. It is a life most of us would envy from the amount of experiences he crammed into it. Did I mention he may have also been the inspiration for James Bond? Well, we'll get to that. William Stevenson was born on January 11, 1897 in Winnipeg to an Icelandic mother and a Scottish father, both of whom had immigrated to Canada. His birth name was William Samuel Stanger, and his parents were unable to take care of him, so he would be adopted by an Icelandic family, and he took the foster family's last name of Stevenson. As a young man, he would leave school to work as a telegrapher. In January 1916, he would enlist with the Winnipeg Light Infantry of the Canadian Expeditionary Force. On June 29, 1916, he left for Canada on the RMS Olympic, transferring to the 17th Reserve Battalion and then to the Canadian Engineering Training Depot, he would be promoted to sergeant in May 1917. During his time in the trenches, he would also unfortunately be gassed. On August 15, 1917, Stevenson transferred to the Royal Air Force and was posted with the 73rd Squadron on February 9, 1918, after his flight training had completed. On June 21, 1918, he attacked a German staff car and caused a stampede of German transport horses on the road. He would also destroy a German scout plane and another two-seater plane. For his actions, he was awarded the Military Cross. While he was in the Air Force, he would also become the lightweight boxing champion. As for his regimental number, that was 700758, a number that included the iconic 007 of James Bond. There's no evidence that Fleming used this as inspiration for James Bond, but it's an interesting link. On July 28, 1918, he was shot down behind enemy lines, either by a German pilot or friendly fire. Captured by the Germans, he would remain a prisoner of war until he escaped in October of 1918. He was in the plane. These planes didn't fall straight down. When they reached a certain speed, the lift of the, on the wings would lift them up, and they they fell like like you watch a leaf coming down in the in the fall. If there's no wind, you see a leaf falling off the trees. It doesn't fall straight down. It goes one way and the other, and that's the way these planes came down. I remember him telling the people about it. And he thought that he was, that was his last, last moment because the plane had started going down. But just before it hit the ground, it sort of leveled off and it, it didn't hit the ground straight on. It, 
came down and he had woke up in a German hospital. Well, it hit several of these plateaus, did it? What, it, it would crash oh, and yes. go, yeah. go straight and then it would go down again and straighten yeah. out and go down That's again. right. It, it did that, I forget how many times he said, but he described it very vividly, that how it went down. He was used in his hands and, and, uh, and that's what happened. And uh, he, he was lucky as hell he didn't get killed. <laughs> Did he speak Icelandic? Of course. Everybody spoke Icelandic in those mm -hmm. days. <laughs> so was there any hint, I mean, looking back on it, was there any sign of a, of a master spy in, in, in the way he acted? I mean, did you ever see anything about him in those no. early days? That, no. So. I, I'm not a, an admirer of spies anyway. Yeah. Uh. But uh, actually, I, I don't don't think uh, he was any great shakes as a spy. Mm. But he was a good businessman and a good organizer. As a prisoner of war, he would begin to steal from his guards and bother the Germans. At one point, he took a can opener and saw that it was patented in German, Austria, and Turkey in 1915. He decided that once he was free, he would patent it in the rest of the world. The patent he would file would begin the fortune he would amass over the next few years. He would say of leaving the POW camp, quote, as a final gesture of contempt, I stole the picture of the POW camp commanding officer from the office of the commanding officer, end quote. He would keep the picture for the rest of his life. As a pilot, he would shoot down 12 German aircraft, including the younger brother of the Red Baron, earning not only the previous mentioned military cross and the distinguished flying cross. By the end of the war, he had also reached the rank of captain. Returning home to Manitoba after the war, Stevenson started a hardware business with his friend Wilf Russell. The business was unfortunately unsuccessful. Stevenson would then attend the University of Manitoba and develop a process for sending photos over wireless. In 1924, he would marry Mary French Simmons, the heiress to a tobacco fortune. That same year, he partnered with George Walton to patent the system of transmitting photographs over wireless. This patent over the course of 18 years would generate $12 million a year in royalties, making Stevenson a very rich man. Stevenson would take the money and begin to invest in several industries, including aeronautics, steel, and radio. Through his work with the wireless photo system and his other investments, he developed a large group of contacts in Canada, Europe, and America. He would also start Shepperton Studios, which became the largest film studio in the world outside of Hollywood. In April 1936, he would provide confidential information to Winston Churchill, then the British Member of Parliament, about how the Nazi government was building up its military, while hiding how much it was spending on its military expenditures. As this was a violation of the Treaty of Versailles, Churchill took the information to Parliament to warn against the appeasement policy of Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain. Stevenson would also help develop the iconic Spitfire and was one of the first directors of public relations for the BBC. At the start of the Second World War, Stevenson was put in charge of the British Security Coordination in the Western Hemisphere and sent to the United States. He would arrive on June 21, 1940, to covertly run the organization. Headquartered in New York on the 35th and 36th floors of the Rockefeller Center, Stevenson had the codename of Intrepid. As for how that name came about, according to legend, when Churchill appointed him as the head of the intelligence operations, he told him, quote, You must be Intrepid, end quote. From that, Stevenson would adopt it as his codename. His official title was British Passport Control Officer. His office censored transatlantic mail, broke letter codes that would expose at least one German spy, and forged diplomatic documents. 
His office would also protect American factories from sabotage as they supplied munitions for Britain. He would also work to turn the American public opinion to support Britain during the war. One way he did this was to falsify a document about how Hitler was going to divide the Americas. He then passed that on to the president, and according to legend, he then threw the typewriter he used into Lake Ontario so no one could ever trace it. Stevenson would say, quote, I started from scratch. I had no experience. I was a businessman, and in the early days of the job, I had plenty of bangs on the head. End quote. He would say later that 80% of his job was paperwork. Those who worked with Stevenson would usually not call him intrepid, but instead refer to him as God, the Angel Gabriel, or St. Peter. Stevenson would also be a close advisor to President Franklin Roosevelt. In their first meeting, which was happening as the British were trying to get the troops off of Dunkirk, the president believed that Britain would fall to the Germans. Stevenson would say, quote, The arsenals of Britain are empty, but she will win out. The British do not kneel easily. End quote. How do I start? Like, hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I say, I'm Linnea. And I'm Linnea. And I'm Linnea. I literally was like, every time. What do I say? (laughs) This is a podcast dedicated to telling the bigger stories behind those iconic Canadian heritage minutes. Smell burnt toast. Dr. Smell burnt toast. Johnson, sir. Molly Johnson. I need my baskets back. He'll need his baskets back. And a bunch of other weird stuff. Right. I dragged my ass out of bed for this picture. <laughs> On Mondays, it's going to be Margarita Mondays. <laughs> Nationwide. Maybe I'm just repressed, <laughs> but I'm comfortable in my repression. And feel that reciprocated enjoyment. enjoyment. Oh, oh my god! It's like we're friends or something. <laughs> Tune in each and every Wednesday for a new episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our website, minutewomenpodcast.ca. You can find all of our contact information and social media channels so you don't miss a single thing. He would also suggest to Roosevelt that William Donovan be put in charge of U.S. intelligence services. Donovan would go on to found the Office of Strategic Services in 1947, which would become the CIA. Years later, Stevenson would describe himself as a midwife to the U.S. Office of Strategic Services. William Donovan would say, quote, Bill Stevenson taught us all we knew of foreign intelligence, end quote. Stevenson would say of his role with Roosevelt, quote, It was my task first to inform him of Britain's foremost requirements so that he could make them known in the appropriate quarters, and second, to furnish him with the concrete evidence in support of his contention that U.S. assistance would not be charity but a sound investment. He would also work closely with J. Edgar Hoover to ensure the quiet and unofficial support of the FBI for the activities of his organization in New York. Stevenson was one of the few individuals in the Western Hemisphere also authorized to view German Enigma ciphers that had been decrypted by Britain. He was also allowed to read raw ultra-transcripts, and Churchill gave him the choice of whether or not to pass the information along to branches in the Canadian and American governments. Stevenson would say that his office was the hub of all branches of British intelligence. He was also instrumental in providing intelligence for the 1943 sabotage of a hydroelectric plant in Nazi-occupied Norway, which was known as Operation Gunnerside. The mission would prevent Nazi scientists from getting heavy water to produce an atomic bomb. He would also prevent the Nazi-occupied government of France from setting up a wireless station on a French-owned island off the coast of Newfoundland. All of this work was done without Stevenson accepting a salary. He would also hire hundreds of individuals, mostly Canadian women, to work as staff in his organization, and he paid their salaries out of his own pocket. 
Stevenson would also establish Camp X near Oshawa, Ontario, which trained Allied agents for espionage activities in Nazi-occupied Europe. This was the first school of its type in North America, and it would train between 500 and 2,000 British, Canadian, and American covert operators between 1941 and 1945. The graduates of this training school would go on to become secret agents, security personnel, intelligence officers, and psychological warfare experts. Sadly, many would also be captured, tortured, and executed with no individual recognition for their efforts. One person who allegedly trained at Camp X was a man named Ian Fleming. Some people claim that the plot of Goldfinger, which involved robbing Fort Knox, was based on a plan by Stevenson to steal $2.8 billion in occupied France gold reserves. Fleming would say of Stevenson, quote, He used to make the most powerful martinis in America and serve them in court glasses. End quote. I'll go into more detail about Camp X in my episode about it coming in April. Stevenson also set up Station M, which was a laboratory in Canada that was aided by the RCMP under the cover of the CBC. The entire purpose of this laboratory was to forge letters and documents which would defy the most intense examination and chemical tests. Stevenson would state, quote, The operations with which I was concerned, under a genius known as Little Bill, were many and curious. In them I was associated with an individual chemist and two ruffians who would reproduce faultlessly the imprint of any typewriter on earth. End quote. The lab created documents that would get rid of a Czech man who would collaborate with the Germans. Letters were signed Anna and mailed to the man, mentioning facts of his private life that could not be denied, while mentioning his former wife who was half-Jewish. It also contained the statement of, quote, Father caught 75 fish on Wednesday the 17th. Brother was not well but caught 82, end quote. The German censors saw this and believed that the statement was an attempt to communicate with the man, who they now believed to be an Allied agent. The man would end up tortured and executed. The Germans then lost a valuable collaborator, which aided the Allies. Stevenson and Station M would also work on a mission that would stop an Italian airline from making flights between Italy and Brazil, carrying couriers, agents, diamonds, platinum, chemicals, and other strategic materials. Brazil did not want to restrict this service, so Station M and Stevenson created a compromising letter written by someone in authority in the airline in Italy to an Italian authority in the Brazil office. Part of the letter would state, quote, there can be no doubt that the fat little man is falling into the pocket of the Americans and only violent action on the part of our green friends can save the country. End quote. The fat little man referred to the president of Brazil and the green friends were a political party that opposed him. When the letter was orchestrated into the hands of the president, he then broke off all relations with the Axis powers. During D-Day, Stevenson was apparently in a plane over the invasion, watching the culmination of four years of counterintelligence. And uh, what about when the Canadian forces were, were present in Iceland during the, during the Second World War? Did uh, you ever hear anything about that? No. Oh. Um, what about uh, Sir William Stevenson? Did you ever hear any, any stories about him and his Icelandic uh, mm -hmm. background? Yes. Mm -hmm. what, what do you know about him? Well, I um, met him during the war because of the, where, the, where I was working. And I knew that he was a half-brother of the Mundy Stevenson, who was a um, plumber here, and he lived on Dominion and, and Sargent Avenue. And uh, did he talk to you at all about the uh, Icelandic neighborhood here? No, I didn't get into any kind of a conversation like that with no. him. And uh, you didn't try out his Icelandic or anything No, like I that? couldn't have tried out his Icelandic. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
But do you think he retained any sort of uh, feeling for his Icelandicness? Uh, well, I think so, from what uh, Nina Stevenson mentioned to me once later, in later years, that he was, uh, yeah, you know, she, she, he, he was her brother-in-law, you know. And what did the Icelanders think about uh, him? Did people talk I about didn't, him? I'd never heard of him before I went, uh, before I had that connection with him, and I didn't really understand who he was when when I, at that time, you know, I mean, didn't make the same impression mm. as he subsequently got the, uh, all the publicity after the war. Mm. After the war, Winston Churchill asked Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King to allow Stevenson to be knighted, something not done for Canadians at the time. Churchill would state that this was a matter close to his heart. The request was approved and Stevenson would be knighted, becoming Sir William Stevenson. He was also presented with the Medal of Merit from President Harry S. Truman, which was the highest civilian award in the United States at the time. He was the first non-American to ever be honored. His citation would read, quote, Sir William S. Stevenson, for exceptionally meritorious conduct in the performance of outstanding services to the United Nations. In a duty of great responsibility, he worked tirelessly and effectively to advance the efficiency and competence of American organizations, which provided for the American and its armed forces. End quote. In 1952, Stevenson would tell a reporter that despite all of his honors, the one that pleased him the most was a brief reference to himself in Robert E. Sherwood's book, Roosevelt and Hopkins. The book dealt with British-American wartime security. In the book, Stevenson was labeled as the Quiet Canadian. In 1945, the Igor Gozenko case erupted in Canada. Gozenko was a cipher clerk at the Soviet embassy who defected in September of 1945 with documents that showed the Soviets were spying on Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom during the war. According to the book Intrepid's Last Case, Stevenson would enter into the case when the Canadian authorities were worried about offending Joseph Stalin and were looking at returning Gozenko back to the Soviets. Instead, Stevenson took over the issue and ensured Gozenko and his family were taken to a safe place. He would then develop a friendship with the defector. I should point out that there are some concerns over errors in the book, and some facts may be embellished, but I felt it was important to include it here. In the end, the Western governments did not act upon the evidence that Gozenko brought to them, and Stevenson would state this prevented them from finding many spies in North America encountering KGB disinformation operations. By the 1950s, he would often warn against what he saw as the dangers of communism. At one point, he wrote articles for Canadian newspapers, and he would state, quote, at the end of the Second Great War, Joseph Stalin stated to his inner council, the Soviet Union can only live in peace when communist governments have been established in London and Washington. Let us not delude ourselves about any domestic preoccupation of the Kremlin mind. End quote. In 1954, Stevenson would be appointed as the chief government advisor for Manitoba's industrial development program. The immense impact of Stevenson on the world stage is mostly unknown to Canadians, and one reason for that was that he rarely talked about what he did. It was not until 1962 that the book, The Quiet Canadian, came out that detailed some of his legendary exploits. The Victoria Times columnist would report, quote, After 17 tight-lipped years, a curtain was finally lifted today on the sensational cloak-and-dagger activities of Sir William Stevenson, perhaps Canada's top secret agent. End quote. For years before the book was published, publishers had tried to get the chance to publish Stevenson's story, but he always refused, stating the last war may not be the final one. Stevenson would later move to the West Indies to become the chairman of the Caribbean Development Corporation, and he would eventually retire in Bermuda. In 1979, he was awarded the Order of Canada. 
1982, he was appointed to the honorary rank of Colonel Commandant of the Intelligence Branch of the Canadian Armed Forces, a term that would last until 1985. Stevenson would pass away on January 31, 1989. For his work during the Second World War, Stevenson is honoured throughout Canada. A public library is named for him in Winnipeg, and a statue of him in his military aviator uniform stands at the Manitoba Legislature. An identical statue is also found at Langley, the headquarters of the CIA. William Stevenson Way in Winnipeg is named for him as well. Whitby, Ontario also has a street named for him, and it intersects with Intrepid Street and Overlord Street. There's also a school named for him in the community. In Oshawa, Ontario, the Royal Canadian Legion Branch 637 was named for him. Intrepid Park in Oshawa is also named for him. And in 2022, a lake, located between Lake Winnipeg and Lake Manitoba, was named for Stevenson. I'll end this episode with something Ian Fleming said of Stevenson, quote, James Bond is a highly romanticized version of a true spy. The real thing is William Stevenson, end quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Sir William Stevenson. Next week, we're looking at the Canoe River train crash, an event that was terrible, but also reshaped Canadian politics. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, McLean's, Intrepid's Last Case, Wikipedia, CTV News, CBC, BBC, Global News, National Post, Saskatoon Star Phoenix, Winnipeg Tribune, Calgary Herald, Victoria Times Columnist, Sun Times, and the Library and Archives of Canada. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.